At Morgan Stanley, old school hard work meets bold new thinking. At 88 years old, we still see the world with the wonder of new eyes, helping you discover untapped possibilities and relentlessly working with you to make them real. Old school grit, new world ideas. Morgan Stanley. To learn more, visit morganstanley.com slash why us. Investing involves risk. Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, LLC. Money starts right now, live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lee. Your traders on the desk are Tim Seymour, Brian Kelly, Karen Feinerman, and Guy Dami. Tonight on Fast, Wall Street is waiting with bated breath as a trade deal deadline approaches. And one top strategist says a deal could unleash a major rally in the market. She will explain. Plus, it's no paradise. UK lawmakers calling Facebook a digital gangster. But maybe it's just all about the Benjamins because the stock is still soaring. We'll tell you why investors are standing behind the social media giant. But first, we start off with Walmart. The windfall. Checkout shares surging today after blowing out its earnings report as its e-commerce business booms. And it's off to the retail races. Walmart is up 5% in the past month, closing in on new highs. It's uh, setting the pace even for its behemoth rival, Amazon, which is down 4% during that time and stuck in a bear market. So is Walmart your best retail bet? And is its gangbuster quarter a sign the consumer is stronger than you might think? Guy. So there are like three questions there. I know. Okay, There's a so lot. is Walmart uh, one your at best a time, retail bet? In my opinion, the answer is no. And in my opinion, the answer is no because simply valuation. Trades close to 22 times now forward earnings. You're bumping up against levels that we last saw beginning of 2018. So in terms of where it is technically and where it is valuation-wise, I think it's a little rich. In terms of the quarter, it was fine. Inventories were up 1.1% year over year. They had sales growth close to 2%. That's great for margins. Again, but where's your EPS growth? You're not really seeing it. In terms of what it means for the consumer, remember the market has rallied back in a meaningful way over the last month, month and a half. And again, I say it all the time, all consumer optimism is is a function of the S&P, which has done extraordinarily well. So it doesn't mean the consumer is healthy, just means the consumer will spend if they think everything's okay. Well, at the very least, it puts uh, to bed the notion that Friday's retail sales numbers were right. actually that's, I think that's what you can do, anything, right? Yeah. If you're just a market participant and you're trying to read the tea leaves and you can say, you know what, December's retail sales number were likely a glitch or whatever term you want to use, but you can look through it and say, whatever happened in December is... It is likely not sustainable. Walmart shows that to you. Now, looking at Walmart specifically, to Guy's point, the earnings were fine, but what's next? What else are they going to do? They had multiple tailwinds here. Remember, we had Sears closing down. We had Payless Shoe Source closing down. Uh, JCPenney's about to fall apart. So a lot of their competitors are no longer in the market. That was the tailwind. They've also got the boost from their e-commerce business, which, again, can do quite well. But up off the lows with a reversal today, closing on the lows of the day, that concern BK a bit. That's what I noticed. Yeah. Up 2% yes. on, on the close, basically. Right. <laughs> it was a little bit of a disappointing close. Yeah. To, well, I thought were really, really good earnings. I mean, the same store sales, that was really good. There was a lot to like here. Remember, they're also spending, spending, spending. Yeah. Right? So that's really important. So we're going to see eventually when they spend less that they'll be able to have more fall to the bottom line. The thing that's so interesting to me is comparing Amazon to Walmart, right? So we know Amazon's in some other businesses, but on the retail side of the business, I always think that if, if Walmart were to sell a 12-pack of brawny paper towels, brawny. they would earn a third of the multiple that 
Amazon would get for selling that same pack of paper towels. Now, maybe Amazon can do it a little bit better, but it makes no sense to me, this multiple differential. And even if you create, okay, we talk about AWS as being so important to Walmart. If you create your own, to Amazon rather, if you create your own Amazon with Walmart and with Microsoft, let's say, with their cloud, right? And you put those kind of multiples on it, and maybe you put a little, they talk about their advertising business growth for Amazon, you put a little Google in there, it doesn't come close anywhere remotely close to where Amazon's trading. Maybe throw in a tiny bit of Netflix for their Amazon Prime. So a basket mimicking a Amazon basket mimicking would still Amazon, not command you can do that valuation. A third of where Amazon and, is And I think trading. that's a really clever uh, analysis. And I think ultimately, if we did that, though, in a lot, I mean, you could do the same thing in the auto sector with GM and Tesla. And, you know, I, it, unfortunately, I don't know if it's totally linear. Uh, I, I, I think Amazon gets the benefit of the doubt for the profitability that they could have. Everybody looks essentially at their ability to take market share at any cost. So that's what's impressive. I, I think reading um, Walmart and Amazon in the same in the same sentence to me is is not something we should be doing because I think Amazon truly is a technology company. I truly I, I agree with Karen. Um, if you layer in cloud and whatnot, and there's ways we can come up with this. But you are valuing Amazon in a DCF and also on a on a classic kind of earnings valuation multiple. Bottom line for me, Brian talked about that there's competitors falling by the wayside. I, I couldn't see more competition um, than there's ever been right now for Walmart. And I think they're ultimately, they're paying the price in the consumable space. It's a trillion dollar marketplace. I get why they want to be there. It's the same reason that Amazon went and bought Whole Foods, because you want people repeat coming back to the store over and over again. And that works because they're going to buy other stuff. But at what cost? I think we're well over Don't, don't you space. think there's, there's just as many, if not more, competitors for Amazon? Everybody in the brother has now got a digital strategy, an e-commerce strategy, whereas Amazon's already done it. So it seems to me, if there's competition out there, it's against Amazon. So why? But that's fair. And I think we probably overreacted to the death of every either retailer in the world to say that they weren't going to compete with, with with Amazon. But the bottom line is they're acting like they can't compete with Amazon. I don't think it's as simple as other people have a retail strategy and an online strategy. Look at the department stores. Now, that may be a different but I, they've been Amazon. So yeah. many different sectors have been Amazon. We spent the last two years talking about the next death knell that Amazon was going to drop on somebody. Why has that changed? No, I mean, I think it's, I like that noise that we played at the top, denoting what was this that, race. The horns? The oh. horns, yeah. Like that that. The horse race. That and I think yes. it's a really interesting way of it's looking exciting. at things. But in terms of the competition, it's not necessarily, you know, Amazon versus Walmart. It's It could be Amazon plus Walmart against the rest of retail. Right. Because, in mm-hmm. fact, that's what we have seen. We've seen yeah. other retailers have to spend, spend, spend. They're sacrificing margin in order to capture that e-commerce dollar. Yep. And it comes at a cost. It comes at a cost. So I think you have to be, you have to have scale, right, to be able to afford. Right. And to, these two to compete. Have I, scale. I'm long Target. I'm not long Walmart, actually. And I, I mean, to me, they have scale. And I think it's working. I think there was a, just a way overreaction to their last earnings release. It trades significantly cheaper than Walmart. I think they have momentum. I think they have also similar grocery. We see grocery Amazon, grocery Walmart, grocery Target. That's important. You've got to have scale to do that as well. But I think that it won't be only Amazon as the winner. I, as, as terms of valuation, I don't know when that... When that differential will close, but it just seems crazy to me. Right, exactly. I mean, Target trades probably at a... 13, 13 and a half. So what is that, a 40% (laughs) discount or so to where Walmart's trading right now. So how does that differential close? Well, I think it closed by Target rallying into March 5th earnings and by Walmart selling off here. I'm not suggesting you put on some funky pair trade, but I think Walmart at 22 times is too rich. I think Target is too cheap, and they will sort themselves out. It's also you're buying Target 
after a huge downcline. Now, the stock has rallied off the lows from a couple weeks ago, but this stock has traded off significantly over the last couple months. So I'd rather buy Target looking for the bounce in earnings than Walmart here post-earnings. But what about a TJ Maxx? If we're talking retail, and I know it's not exactly apples to apples with what Walmart does and what Amazon does, but this is a company that's executed in good and bad markets. So if I look forward and there's some uncertainty about what the economy is going to do, I know if there's an inventory glut, that's coming to TJ Maxx. They should do pretty well there. And we also know that during good times, TJ Maxx executed, plus the way that the stock is trading, I've got a really good stop-up point, great risk-reward. So I would ignore Amazon, Target, and Walmart and be a Maxinista. What if, what if mm-hmm. new t- oh, a fashionista, yeah. fashionista, whatever well, Pete is, yeah. 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 what if tariffs get ratcheted up? What if new tariffs come into play? Well, what happens to the space? Yeah, I think, you know, let's let's talk about retail sales. And as much as it's easy to dismiss that number from last week, which was awful. Um, and, and by the way, markets rallied back almost by the end of the day after a terrible number. Again, down 1.7. At the core of that um, was the number. And, and not only was is it a terrible number, but the things that people spend money on at Walmart, it was sporting goods, it was, it was kind of you know, durables, it was things that actually people should be pretty flush right now. They're getting paid more, we're full employment, and it wasn't. And, and I don't think it's a one-off. I, I think we're probably peak consumer. I think we're definitely peak labor. It uh, doesn't mean it's falling off a cliff, but at what point have these companies been rewarded valuation along the way? I, Guy talked about the valuation of Walmart. Peak labor? I'm think, sorry? You think we're peak labor in terms of wages or in terms of employment? Or, or? I think I think in terms of employment, look, everything I'm hearing from every Fed regional survey is that there's not enough skilled workers to hire people. Um, we're seeing, if anything, I think we're we're near the end of a long cycle. I don't think we're running into recession. So wages but should rise then? I, I, no. I think actually okay. they're just companies are basically foregoing new projects. And I think in, in the retail space and in the restaurant space, these higher wages are choking off a lot of people and they're just not hiring. And in fact, some of these guys are downsizing. So I think the labor market, how can it get better than it's gotten? I realize that's something we've said for the last three years. But in terms of wages, and I'm, I'm happy people so are making more money. Is that a plus or a minus? It's a negative. It's, it's a negative because it cho- it, for the retailers, they have to pay their, their workers more money. But in theory, the workers have more money to spend, too. They have more money for now. But my point is that, again, look at, the, again, that retail sales number included the holiday season. Um, and Walmart, good for them, included the holiday season where they crushed it online. That's great. People want to see them compete there. But overall, the health of the consumer, and I, Guy, I would imagine you agree with me. I mean, I think the consumer is kind of maxed out. I don't think they're falling off a cliff. But to say that it's going to get better on multiple, I, I, I can't. Consumer debt now in this country is north of $13 trillion. So I think that's you know closing in on 58% or so of debt to GDP. That's a huge number. I mean, nobody wants to talk about it. You know, everybody talks about the balance sheet of the consumer. They're borrowing a lot of money, and they're, in my but opinion, they're they're, so why, that's great. Why they're does employed. It well, in my opinion, it absolutely matters because if the stock market were to ever, again, you saw what happened in October, November, into December. I think people got really scared. I think that's one of the reasons the retail sales were so miserable because people stopped spending for fear that the market was <laughs> collapsing. The fact that it's come back, I think, giving people confidence again. But if you see another hiccup in the market, you see how quickly people ratchet back, especially when you're talking about numbers like that. Amazon quickly, by the way. We have to wait until April for them to report. But quite frankly, over the last, you know, four or five weeks, Amazon's been in the 1600 to 1700 range. Now it's closer to 1600 Has not traded particularly well on what's been a pretty decent tape the last month and month and a half. That's something to watch. All right. Coming up, is the trade deal a done deal? The market seems to think so. And top strategist Savita Subramanian says we could be on the brink of a major breakout. We've got all the details. Plus, tenacious tech, Facebook, standing strong despite the fallout from its privacy issues catching flack around the world. And it could be your best chance 
to buy the stock. We'll explain. And later, check out this mystery chart. This stock is soaring today, now up nearly 30% this year. We'll tell you why Wall Street says it is heading even higher. We are live from Times Square in New York City. Much more Fast Money right after this. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at... 3 a.m. The office was shocked. But that's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. <laughs> I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. Welcome back to Fast Money. Facebook feeling the heat after the release of an investigative report by UK lawmakers calling the social media company Digital Gangsters. The report calling for regulation after the spread of fake news during both the U.S. presidential election and U.K. Brexit vote back in 2016, as well as the infamous Cambridge Analytica data scandal last year. Early Facebook investor Roger McNamee also weighing in on the report on CNBC earlier today. If you believe that there isn't going to be any kind of regulatory uh, pressure on the company, you know, nothing, you know, the UK thing is just talk, right? It's not actual change. If, if that's the worst of it, then the stock is absolutely priced properly and, you know, may even still be a value here. Shares of Facebook ending flat today, but are up 24% this year. So will regulation become just a reality? Is it just tough tech talk? Karen, is this a concern of yours here? It's sort of a concern, but I mean, when you look at the stock, when you look at the earnings that they put up last, I mean, you look at where the stock is trading, right? As we know, it's sort of the poster boy for bad behavior for social media. However, I think that's getting to be an old story now. And we've seen some, we saw the EU GDPR, right? Could we see something in the UK? Yes. Could we see something here? We could. I think that'll be hard for Congress to get together and do some legislation there, but it could happen. It absolutely could happen. All of that, though, I think is priced in already. If we were to remove that cloud, if we knew with certainty how much they would have to pay or what regulation would cost, let's say it were fines instead of, uh, okay. of regulation, then I think the stock would lift a lot. I think it's priced in. And but, I think yeah. them being the poster child for bad behavior is starting to fade as a story. And but that's been weighing on the stock. Are you comfortable, Karen, with your sense of understanding what the costs are going to be for these guys to continue to, to, to right. basically make their platform safe. No, because but the I think the market there, is giving them an excessive penalty of what the cost could be. I think it would be less. I think the stock would be much higher. Okay. We don't know, right? We've seen their costs go up and up as they add more people to yeah. the content. That hasn't mattered to the earnings, though. But, well, that hasn't mattered. But, but a company that can't tell you what their costs are is a company that's going to trade at a discount. And, and, and I would argue it that does. Facebook traded at a discount. discount. Oh, she oh, thinks it already does. It does, right. Is, I think it, it does. It, for but, this kind of growth, for this kind of, you know, for this margin business, it absolutely trades at a discount. But it, and it traded at a discount for two years. So I, I would argue that even before some of the worst of the news happened. Look, we have not seen uh, any material fall off in terms of their ad revenue or in terms of the usership of the, of the platform. We know that they're trying to, again, they're trying also to change their metrics. How are we looking at Facebook? Well, let's face it. Um, if anyone can blow you away with their sheer numbers in terms of absolute, uh, you know, MAUs, DAUs, you want to, whatever you want to call it, Facebook is, is not going to go away quietly. But what multiple do you want to put on a management team that 
every time seems to be chasing the news flow. Every time they're telling us they're sorry. Every time they're telling us they don't know its cost, but they're going to come back to us. This is not a stock I want to own. It's not a stock that I think can outperform, and I think it's rallied back nicely. I, I don't know what else you do with it here. Oh, I think it could outperform. I mean, we've already seen the earnings that are done pretty well. The biggest catalyst and or risk, depending on how you look at it, for Facebook right now is the integration of their different platforms of WhatsApp, Instagram, and Facebook. If they can execute on that and they can increase their metrics, that actually might be really good. And then the stock is underpriced and or undervalued. If they don't, if they don't execute on it, and all of a sudden they start using losers because uh, losing <laughs> users or using losers, I guess you can do it either. <laughs> well, they way. have been using losers. That's <laughs> but, the problem. But the point is, they start losing users. Uh, on WhatsApp or any of these because people don't want to log on to Facebook, that could be a problem. So I think there's a lot of outperformance in this stock. That being said, you know, if they don't do it right, it could be a lot of underperformance. It's, it's a good trading stock at this point in time. Let me ask you a question, Tim. If Sheryl Sandberg were to leave, which I'm not saying is on oh, the table at all. I like all, this question. Right? I'm not saying it's on the table. You know if the it is. were... <laughs> to be the case, uh, w- w- is that a positive or a negative for the stock? I think the management team uh, trades at a discount. So whoever it is, um, and she's, you know, because Mark Zuckerberg's not going anywhere. He owns the company. Right. Um, and even though she's a major stakeholder as well. Um, so and, and I don't really, you know, because I don't know who's leading the direction and, and ultimately who should be responsible for the strategy in terms of how they've handled security on their site. I don't know if it's her. Um, and so, you know, ultimately, who is the person to blame? But I can tell you this management team in aggregate trades at a discount. And, and, and companies that deserve great multiples are ones where we actually give well, the management team. If they're the going to oust somebody because of, yes. of what's going on, I mean, it's got to be Sheryl Sandberg and not Mark Zuckerberg. But well, what, that, what is the answer to your own question? I'd rather would it have be her trade higher? Than not. Oh, I okay. would. Right. Higher or lower? I think if she left, obviously the reason matters. But I'll play the game. If she left, I think the stock goes down. And the stock right now is trading 162, so let's just play the game quickly. When Zuckerberg testified in front of Congress, I think it was March of last year-ish, stock was about 158 or so. So it's effectively a lot of you know, permutations up and down. It's basically flat over the last year. I'm sort of more in Tim's camp, though. Last quarter said, despite what, despite what advertisers want, I'm sure many advertisers would love to go someplace else, there's no place else for them to go. And Facebook hasn't lost anybody. But if the news flow continues to work against them, hopefully... Hopefully, I shouldn't say that. Somebody will emerge that will take somewhat of the reins away. And I think Facebook could trade low again. It hasn't really traded all that great since that 170 print post-earnings. All right. Well, for more on Facebook and what is next for the social media giant, you can head on over to CNBC.com. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC. First in business worldwide. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up on Fast. Deal or no deal? That's what all of Wall Street is wondering as the trade deadline with China approaches. And one top strategist says the deal could be about to unleash stocks. We've got those details. Plus... Are you seriously talking about video games? Yes, we are. Video game stocks are facing their biggest boss yet, Fortnite. But there's something happening that could give some of the biggest players a major boost. We will explain when Fast Money returns. Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. Brainstorm got too big? Ooh. Summarize with AI in a click. Click, 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 click. Writer's block? Release with Canva Magic Write. Magical. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work. 
Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production, and they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand. Do you hear that? Do you hear that clock? That is the sound of time ticking on a trade deal as the March 1st deadline approaches and as the S&P 500 inches back to new highs. It does look like the market is pricing in a done deal. Bob Bassani joins us from the NYSE with more on that. Hey, Bob. A lot riding on this. Goldman's Jan Hatzius, in a recent note to clients, made some very interesting points. He said that the market sentiment for a deal has been lifted because President Trump is expected to meet with Chinese President Xi Jinping toward the end of March. The president recently said that there was a very good chance of reaching a deal. That's important. What about that March 1st deadline? The market seems comfortable that the deadline will be pushed back with tariffs remaining at the 10% level. Now, what if it's not comfortable? What, what if happens with the market here? It's not comfortable with the prospects of no deal or an immediate increase in tariffs to, say, 25%. Christina Hooper from Invesco said that, quote, if talks fail and additional tariffs are applied, stocks could fall through their December 24th lows. Yikes. So how long do the markets get strung along on all this? Hatzia says a mid-March meeting with an announcement of some framework for reforms of intellectual property rights, enforcement and technology transfer rules was a strong possibility. But a real deal, a complete deal? Well, expect a second deadline on May 1st or maybe June 1st for a broader agreement. But he says it's possible tariffs could be in effect through the 2020 election. That's not good. In the meantime, the markets are roaring. The internals are really strong. The breadth has been advancing almost every day since the December 24th bottom. New highs are expanding. Selling pressure is low. The Dow's riding an eight-week win streak. It's all looking really good right now. The S&P 500 is close to breaking that major downtrend that began on December 3rd when it closed at 27.90. Now, look, we closed today at 27.79. That's a few points shy of recovering all those December losses. But many strategists are cautious now because the good news of trade talk momentum, the Fed on hold and strong market momentum has been offset by clear signs of slower global growth in Europe and China and even in the United States. And remember something, U.S. earnings expectations are near zero for the year. And generally, that's not positive for the markets. Back to you, Melissa. All right, Bob. Thank you. Bob Bassani at the NYSE. So here's a question. Have the markets priced in a trade deal, BK? I think it's largely priced in a trade deal. I mean, we talked about this last week. We've had a tremendous rally off the bottom. As long as they're moving the ball forward and they put some kind of wireframe around what this deal is going to look like, I think it's going to be okay for the market. What was interesting today is there were some headlines out there that as part of the deal, they'd negotiate that the RMB, the yuan, would not rise or they wouldn't devalue the yuan. Sorry. So that would put a lid on the dollar. That'd be an implicit weak dollar policy. That is actually very positive. So while I I'm cautious that we could have a sell the news event, given what we know. If you get something like a weak dollar event, that would be very positive, something that market hasn't priced in yet. 
Other than that, I think most of it's priced in, and I'd be concerned about a sell the news. What, what I, I think is interesting about this, um, you know, this calculus is that you have a Fed that's also during this time uh, basically stepped to the sideline, and, and that was the most important dynamic, to be clear. So um, we got a Fed boost in the middle of waiting for a deal, um, and I would argue that the Fed took the life out of this deal. Um, if I look at it in terms of the stocks that were most affected by the talk of trade, so industrials, some of the commodity stocks, um, I would argue that they have not priced it all back in. Emerging markets, as measured by the EEM, for example. I think you could actually see uh, a follow-through. But during this time, we've reassessed the global economy, we've reassessed global growth, and and I think that's the the problem with this analysis now. So industrials have outperformed the S&P by 650 basis points since December 24th, and that's a pretty good outperformance. Yeah, and and if we do get a deal, that raises the question, does the Fed step back in? I mean, if the Fed has stepped to the sidelines in this period where we have... no shot. Not right away. Not right away. Not you, right away. You'd have to see. I, I mean, I frankly think the Fed's going to announce that they're going to tolerate higher inflation. Mm-hmm. I think they're going to target 3 and 4% inflation. So I think it's going to be an awful long time before the step, Fed stops, uh, steps back in. All right. Well, our next guest says a trade deal is not all priced in. A strong trade deal could unleash a market rally here. Let's bring in Savita Subramanian, the head of U.S. equity strategy at Bank of America Merrill Lynch. Welcome back, Savita. Thanks. Great to be here. Let's make clear when Exciting you say... Yeah. <laughs> a deal. A, yes. That's a real deal. That so means this is a everything. Real deal. Yeah. So I would agree with you that that a kind of a partial deal, which is no new tariffs, but we don't roll back any of 2018 tariffs. That's largely priced in. And I would sell the news on that one. I think the market might might sell off a little bit. But if we get the real deal. So this is where. Uh, you roll back the tariffs from 2018, which I don't think is priced into the market. That would add at least one or two percentage points of earnings growth to 2019 that's not in the numbers. Um, And then you also get this huge lift from the multiple. And, you know, what I think is really interesting is that ever since February, we've noticed that CapEx guidance has started to come down pretty dramatically. So I think all the animal spirits that were negative for the last 12 months could actually flip back to positive. You could see growth trends resume, et cetera. Um, but that's on, predicated on the assumption that we get full deal. So we get a rollback of 2018 uh, tariffs. We get some sort of agreement and enforcement of intellectual property, um, you know, the, the landscape on intellectual property. And I think this whole trade rhetoric, this whole trade story is about tech. I mean, to me, it's not about, Mm -hmm. you know, soybeans. This is about technology. So I think that might be the most important piece of the puzzle is is if we start to see some moving forward on intellectual property agreements. So this real deal scenario yields up 5 to 10 percent on the S&P from here. Exactly. And that's basically, I mean, the the kind of the rough math, nothing's ever perfect in this world. But the rough math here is that you get maybe a 1 to 2 percent Uh, earnings boost, and then you get all of the multiple compression that we saw from February of last year to now uh, reversed, essentially. Under that scenario, I'll ask you the question, is it possible that the Fed steps back in, and that does that then box the markets, the markets and, the, and the progress. Yeah, I mean, it's a, sort of these counter uh, counterbalancing forces. I think the Fed could tighten. Uh, it, it could hi- The Fed could hike in the face of better growth. And I think the market would actually be able to tolerate that. Um, I think that we've had a market environment where everyone's spooked by tightening from super low levels. But let's remember where interest rates are. They're in like the low, you know, the lowest 10th percentile right now. I mean, 
interest rates are really low. They're not going to, you know, 25 basis points higher isn't going to ruin the corporate balance sheet of your average S&P company, right? So I think that, you know, if we get to a point where some of this, the trade friction is resolved, we have a healthier economy, we have companies starting to spend on CapEx, you know, all the animal spirits unwind again, the Fed can actually tighten without totally destroying the markets. Uh, quickly, Savita. So, yeah. I mean, the market seems to think when a deal, when President Trump is ready to make a deal, there's a deal to be made. Are we underestimating the resolve of the Chinese? Well, the Chinese have a much longer time horizon than Trump does. So that is, uh, um, that's certainly a point of contention. And I think, you know, what this comes down to is who's going to be the next tech superpower. So, you know, and that's a much bigger issue than whether we, you know, raise, raise prices on China imports. But how do they solve that? Because it sounds like you think they could get there. I mean, we think that they could make progress towards that. And that's the goal for, you know, on the U.S. side. Um, but, you know, you're right. It's not a, a clear cut process. It's a messy, ongoing process. But I think if we start to see if we start to hear noises that they're making any sort of progress on tech and, and intellectual property, that would be seen as a, a huge positive for the market. So where do you think the best risk reward is to go to in terms of sectors if your if your premise holds <laughs> if up? If our trade scenario holds Which I agree with. Uh, so I, I like industrials still, even though they've rallied uh, pretty significantly. I mean, I think industrials is a sector that was basically pricing in full-scale trade war and a recession, like kind of everything bad by the end of last year. Um, the other thing that I think is really interesting about industrials is if you look at the ownership of industrials by your professional investors, your mutual funds and your hedge funds, it is almost as hated as it's ever been. Nobody wants to touch industrials. I think now they're starting to be more interested, but it's, there's not a lot of positioning risk. And the sector is basically pricing in really, really weak growth. So if we avoid a recession and we avoid a trade war, I still think there's upside risk to the sector. Your year-end target is 2,900, which is about 4% upside. So where does it fall in terms of your scenarios for trade? Yeah, what is I that mean, dependent on? So our, our, sort of, our year-end target is assuming we get kind of the medium resolution, not the real deal. So we get no new tariffs going forward. Um, we start to see companies, you know, they can start planning again after, you know, living in this uncertain world and, uh, and that moves earnings higher. I mean, I think what's, what's also interesting is that earnings expectations right now for the full year are about 4%. I mean, that's really low relative to the average expectations of analysts at this point. So I don't think that's a bad thing. I think what we've noticed is that when expectations are really low, that's generally when the market actually does really well and it surprises to the upside. So I, you know, I think that there are a lot of reasons to be bullish right now. Savita, great to see you. Thanks, Thanks. for coming by. Great Savita Subramanian of Bank of America Merrill Lynch. Positioning, that's very important. Positioning in terms of the markets overall, positioning in terms of sectors like the industrials. Yeah. And, she, and she's right to mention it broadly, but then so you step back and get granular. I mean, Boeing went from 380, an all-time high, to sub-300. And in a month, month and a half, the stock is now $416. I mean, think about the move Boeing's had. So, again, Boeing's telling you maybe they are, to BK's point, maybe a lot of this is priced in. I'm not sure. My point is I'm not certain. We all seem to think when, it, when President Trump is ready to make a deal, there's a deal to be made. I'm not certain that's the case.
I, I don't know. I think, I mean, if we get a deal like Savita's talking about, something more than the market is even thinking about. I don't think the market's thinking about some kind of rollback of tariffs and a full tech deal. That, to me, seems really aggressive. I'm not saying it can't happen. I'm just saying you're that saying that, by March 1 or you're saying I would even general? say mid-year. But, but if, if we're moving in that direction, I think it's positive. But uh, to me, there's, there's some kind of pullback coming here. We've priced a lot of this in. I'd much rather be a buyer when the deal falls through or when the Fed does a little bit of a scare like, hey, maybe, maybe we're going to come back in the market and we get a little bit of a, the froth off of this market. I feel a lot more comfortable. Well, New York Fed Williams out there today basically saying we're going to need a lot more inflation than we have for us to do anything. So, I, you know, we've <coughs> all said this. Um, I, I, look, what's outperformed? Values outperform growth. Um, and that's part of our Amazon discussion. I should have brought that up. Silly me. Bottom line here is I think you actually continue to see industrials outperform and those valuations that make sense. Still ahead, as stocks have soared off the lows, how do you know if you can trust this rally? Guy here will break down the difference between a bull trap and a bull run. Plus, Activision's big esports event kicking off this weekend with a number of big name sponsors and a cool $5 million prize. We'll bring you uh, the latest. Much more fast right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Activision betting big on the esports explosion. The gaming company looking for a win as the stock is down nearly 47% from its October highs. It's Overwatch League season kicking off and touting a $5 million prize pool. Let's get to Josh Lipton in San Francisco with the details. Hey, Josh. Melissa, it's a date video game fans have marked on their calendars the start of a new season of Activision Blizzard's Overwatch League. 20 teams of video game players competing for a prize pool totaling $5 million. Activision is capitalizing on that red hot trend of esports, which will attract an audience of $454 million this year, and revenue will grow nearly 30% to more than $1 billion. Sponsors for the Overwatch League include Coca Cola. Toyota and Intel. The matches will stream on the Overwatch website, mobile app, and Twitch channel. Select games will also air on ABC, ESPN2, and Disney XD. We asked the league's commissioner whether it would be smart to now offer the game itself for free. After all, wouldn't that mean that many more gamers playing Overwatch and then tuning in to watch the competition? We think the business model that we have at Overwatch is the right business model for the game to create the right player experience where uh, all of the content, all of the additional maps, all the additional heroes, all that stuff is free uh, so that there's a, a, a great ongoing experience for our players. Now, Bayard's Colin Sebastian says this league is a bright spot for Activision as the company deals with some challenges of its own. It recently announced, of course, layoffs of about 800 people. Sebastian says this league is not financially material for Activision right now, but it's a real long-term opportunity, he says. And he argues it's the best direct way for investors to play the esports theme, at least here in the West, more so than Take-Two or EA, which finished in the red today, though up 30% so far this year. Melissa, back to you. Josh, did you say 454 million viewers for this? That's right. That's right. So that's according to NewZoo, which just recently put out a report. It says that global audience is going to reach 454 million. That would be a jump of 15 percent, Mel. But that's overall esports, not this particular competition. That's right? correct. Yeah. Right. That is overall esports, correct. Okay. Josh, thanks. Josh Lifton in San Francisco. So is the esports bet enough for Activision? 
Tim? Well, the, the competition is insane, and, and ultimately you're only as good as your last release, and, and I think that's what's going on here. The valuations, if you look at uh, ATVI, you're somewhere around 17, 18 times. I mean, the valuation to me is extremely attractive. Um, the question is really just how relevant are there? I don't think they're that far out of the game. In fact, the stock's though been grinding lower for the last three months, and, and you know, I'm not sure what's going to break it out of this range, whereas EA, we've seen at least over the last couple of days, you got some news on the new release, which was very bullish, almost overnight changed the prospects of the company. Josh had mentioned all the different channels that some of this Overwatch mm-hmm. League competition is going to be aired on. So Guy Very mentioned earlier in the show uh, when we were talking about Facebook, until advertisers find some place to go, then Facebook is okay. Well, 455 million viewers with the demographic that you want, to me, seems like you want to buy Disney on this. It's going to be playing on Disney XD. It's going to be playing on ESPN2. The problems perhaps with, with ESPN are behind them. I think this is a much better way to play the esports explosion than trying to bet on the next hit out there. Each Friday at 5.30, where are you? I'm oh, just right here in this seat. Right, and as, as fate would have it, this past Friday I was on the options. You were there. right there in that seat. Right, it's a great show, but everybody should uh. watch. But Mike Coe yes. pointed out a bearish trade in Activision, if you recall. And, uh, yes, valuation is compelling, but it has not traded particularly well. There's no bounce in the stock. I personally think it trades the levels we last saw sometime in 2016, 33 and a half. Conversely, mm-hmm. take two, around the same valuation, maybe a little bit more, bottomed out at a same level we bottomed out March of last year, 90 bucks or so on huge volume. If we're playing the game, would you rather? Would you rather? I would Apparently rather. Apparently, we are. Apparently, we are. <laughs> Brian brought up the fact that, you know, maybe the media companies are a way to play this because they, they need to be here and yeah. they've already decided to be here. I, I would just point out, I agree with them, uh, but I would point out this news on Disney, on, on ESPN2, et cetera, for Overwatch. That's old news. I mean, you know, this is, I, I attended one of those events at the Barclays Center where actually Disney was actually simulcasting. So um, to, to count on this being a driver, we really need to see that the viewership goes up. And I, I think, again, I think these guys are only as good as their last game and and Fortnite is really the death knell for everybody. So you're saying it wouldn't be a driver for Disney in terms of watching, but I just wonder, I mean, you hear that kind of audience and you think, how can this... In total, yes. for no, all esports right, around right, the world. Right. How could they not want to be... How could, how could an Activision... Or, not want a piece or... Yeah. Not, it is yeah. a driver for Disney. Right? It's... Uh, my point was that for, for Activision, it's not. I mean, we, we know that they, they're uh-huh. televising these games. Right. And, and that was a, a great story. Six but aren't ago. they a target is what I'm saying. Shouldn't they be a target for media? That's, that's what people yeah. are saying. And it, but it doesn't target for an advertiser or for a Disney? For the stock, for the company. The takeover. The, yeah, the takeover, takeover target. I mean, the problem is, I mean, to me, Disney's the, the perfect person to take over these games because it's just like a movie. The problem is the, the games that are popular. Did you Huh? No, would the, you wear, would you wear I, like you know? What's the, what do you what do you mean? I, like, I don't, like a mask. Are you like saying I don't already? Yeah. Something. Like I mean, this this shirt I just wear on TV. Coming Thank up, you very much. check out shares of Freeport Macmore. This is a family show. Freeport Macmore and soaring today and adding to a nearly 30 percent rally this year. We'll tell you what's behind this move. Plus, the S and P up nearly 20 percent from the low. So is the bull market backwards? This rally just a load of bull? Mm. Guy here will break it down and fast money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Stocks have gone from one extreme to the other as the S&P has soared off the December lows. But how do you know if the recent rally is the start of another bull run or just a plain old bull trap? Guy is over at the Plaza breaking it down in a segment we like to call The More You Know. Guy. Hi, Mel. And I think the most important thing to do is define the terms, right? So I went to school and I understand how this thing works. So let's define bull trap. Say even this is phonetics, right, Mel? Bull Bull trap. trap, Right. 
And this is a false signal that the declining trend has reversed. Listen, I don't think the declining trend has reversed. Clearly it has over the last couple of weeks, but I still think there are things out there. But we'll get to that. Bull run. What's a bull run? Conversely, upside momentum is expected to continue. A lot of people hoping for that. And you know what? They might be right. That's what makes markets. But as we used to say at Match Game, slide it, Earl, and watch this. These are my points. Reading the rebound. Number one, what is the rally predicated on? What is it based on? We had an entire conversation at the beginning of the show about this. I think most of this rally off the December 24th has been predicated on the fact that the Federal Reserve said, hey, you know what, those rate hikes and reducing our balance sheet, we're just messing with you. It ain't going to happen. I think Tim would agree with that as well. That's number one. Number two, how fast was the recovery? Pretty darn fast. I mean, December 24th, we saw where the S&P was trading. We've rallied 18% or so in a month and a half. That's a pretty significant rally in a small amount of time, in my opinion. And number three, and maybe most importantly, are the warning signs being ignored. Listen, markets should rally on strong earnings, earnings growth, revenue, revenue growth, in my opinion. I think this is rallying on hope that the Fed still has this backstop. The warning signs are there. I was talking to Karen before. 24% of all sovereign bonds in the world are now have negative yields. That's a warning sign. Earnings, I don't know. Earnings season has been good, bad. On the margins, I'd say it's been okay. Europe is a mess. You see what's going on in China. So I think a lot of it is baked in. So for my money, that's how you read the rebound. And that's the difference between a bull trap and a bull run. Thanks, Guy. Oh, now and by the way, oh. sorry. I gave you a little chart just because that's what the crack staff in EC wants to do. I mean, look at this sucker. I mean, that's straight up. That's pretty crazy. That's like my IQ over the last year. Anyway, back to you, Mel. I think it's the first part of the chart. But um, Now, you may have heard that CNBC has launched a financial education initiative called Invest in You, Ready, Set, Grow. It's all part of a new partnership we have with Acorns, the savings and investing app. Investment education is important to us here at Fast Money. So given all that, who's got a question for Guy? I think Karen does. I do, I do. So, Guy, you know it's really hard to be a market timer, right? So let's say you're, un, you're unsure about when to get in, when to get out. If you don't want to be a market timer, what do you do if you're concerned that you're in a bull trap? That Great question. I mean, this show obviously tries to focus on trading. Trading is a day-to-day -day thing. Investing is obviously a lot more long-term, so you don't have to really worry about the timing of the whole thing. In my opinion now, and quite, quite frankly, you know I've been wrong now for at least the last 200 S&P points. But what I'll say is all the things I look at indicate that the market is overboard on many different metrics. It's not playing out, but that's what I look at. So if I were enjoying this run from December 24th with the VIX now at 15, give or take, I would say to myself, it's not a bad time to take some money off the table. My opinion. All right. Thanks for that, Guy. NBC Universal and Comcast Ventures are invested in Acorns. For even more financial education, head to the website, cnbc.com forward slash invest in you. Coming up, Freeport McMoran soaring today and taking the miners along with it. The stock is now up nearly 40% from the market lows. We'll tell you if it has more room to run. We're live at the NASDAQ in Times Square. Much more Fast Money right after this.
Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out shares of Freeport MacMoran soaring 7% today after an upgrade from City, up nearly 30% so far in 2019. City says the stock could rally another 20% before the end of the year thanks to the value of their core assets and upside potential in copper. So, City says buy. BK, what do you say? Yeah, I'm with City on this one. I think you buy it for both the gold and copper reasons. If you look at the gold industry in particular, there's been some underinvestment or not a lot of investment in new mines. So there's a potential for a shortage. Not only that, in an environment where you have a Federal Reserve and almost every other central bank reinvigorating the economies, potentially going back to a point where they're going to tolerate higher inflation, you want to buy things that have limited supply. So gold, copper, and that other thing called Bitcoin. I think you buy them all here. But if you're a believer that that global growth is slowing down, how can Dr. we be bullish on I'm, copper? I'm because you're Mr. Bull BK I'm now. Mr. Bull I mean, BK. That's like I, I, weirdo I mean, world here uh, continues. I just, well, um, here's, you know, City's pointing out that you're, you're basically have uh, exchange levels at 10-year lows in terms of copper, in terms of supply demand, et cetera. Uh, you know, that's great. First of all, just to be clear, I own Freeport. Um, and to treat it as a pure copper or gold play is wrong because they made some horrendous energy acquisitions at the peak that were arguably... Well, I'll leave that for people to look even closer into those deals. I didn't like those deals. Um, this company, to me, is probably got upside to about 18 bucks, which would be a nice move here. Break out at 12.50 for sure. I think the entire resource space, especially ag resources, look the most interesting. Is it just a giant trade bet, though? I mean, let's say we get really bad right. headlines out of trade. I gotta think I th- that. I think it's a giant inflation bet. That's what I think it is more than a trade bet. You think we have inflation? I think we're going to have higher inflation. I think because the Federal Reserve. Because he thinks we have inflation. <laughs> I know. I, so I there's mean, a, exactly. Like <laughs> so inflation is okay as long as it's not too much. At some point in time, the market will start to decrease earnings expectations because inflation will erode that. But until we get to that point, the mechanics of it should be bullish for the market. That all is right. all. Freeport yeah. Macquarie's big move also making waves among options traders who are looking for ways to play this fresh rally. Mike Coase in San Francisco to break it all down. Hey, Mike. Hi there. Yeah, so we saw about uh, three times the average daily call volume in Freeport MacMoran. This is a name that actually trades quite a lot of calls to begin with. It traded over 120,000 contracts today. Most active were the April 14 calls. We saw a block of 16,500 of those purchased for just over 50 cents. It was a bullish trader who was actually rolling a previous bullish bet from the March 12 calls out and up to the April 14s. That's obviously a bullish bet that is going to be higher than that $14 strike price by at least the 50 plus cents that they paid. That would be an increase of about 10%. And I would point out that they'd already doubled their money on the calls that they were selling today. So this is somebody who was bullish prior to this bet, made money and is taking some of those proceeds and pressing that bullish bet further out over the next 60 days. Guys, since you were a a pinch hitter on options action last Friday, (laughs) I shall ask you about this action and this trade that Mike Coe has outlined. You know my love for Mike grows on it. It's exponential, the growth. So I'm in the BK camp. There is something going on in the metals space Mm. that transcend all this mumbo jumbo. Has to do with central banks being too accommodative. I'm with Mike. All right. Thanks, Mike, for that. Mike in San Francisco for more Options Action. Full show, Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Up next, Final Trades. Final trade time, Tim. As we talk about the resource trade, I like U.S. Steel. This chart actually looks encouraging for the first time in months. BK the Bull Kelly. Yeah, let's, let's put my money where my mouth is and say you buy FCX, copper, gold, maybe it'll leave a little energy in there. Chairwoman. Yes, I liked what Amazon had to say, but I like Target better because the valuation is attractive. We'll see in March how they did. Guy Dami. Really, it's a 
Great show tonight, Jam Mel. Jam-packed. Jam-packed. You know, we yeah. do that thing at the smart board we call Power Pitch. You might want to check out Newmont Mining there, peeps. Mm. Fast pitch. Uh-huh. That does it for us. See you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast Money. Meantime, don't go anywhere. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.